It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Tuesday's episode of Locked On Longhorns, that means we are talking about the concerns we had and things we need to improve on ahead of the Big 12 conference schedule. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked on College for $20 off your first purchase. Now, today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is Tuesday. We talk about the things that were concerning, the things that weren't ideal, that need to be fixed heading into conference play against Baylor on Saturday. In the second segment, I'm ranking the top half of the Big 12, your favorite conference that can't count the top seven teams in the conference heading into conference play. And then a great weekend of NFL action. We recap every game on today's show. All of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are heading into conference play. You know, I talked about yesterday on the podcast how the offseason goes by so slow and then you get into the season and it's just boom, right? Like speed racer. And we're three weeks in already heading into conference play. But it's a blessing. Our favorite football team is ranked number three in the AP poll, and they are 3-0, and you know, at this point for the first time in over a decade and, you know, hoping that continues into the meat of their schedule. So uh, talking about what I didn't like and what I think we can improve on heading into conference play. So the first thing I didn't like from Saturday is the six penalties for 40 yards. If we remember in one of Steve Sarkeesian's media availability from fall camp, he talked about really wanting to hone in on penalties and turnovers, right? And we talk about how, you know, Texas is, you know, one of the most talented teams in the country. This might be the most talented team at Texas since the Mac Brown era. And I think that they're probably more talented than every team they line up against this year. Right. Even when I look at Alabama now, the way they played against us in USF, I would have to say Texas is probably the more talented team and has more depth and talent within that depth. Right. But the great equalizer is penalties and turnovers. If you're more talented than every team you go against, then you should win the majority of your games. But how do other teams stay in the game mistakes on your end penalties and turnovers and now against rice in wyoming we've had 11 penalties for 80 yards we've given up 11 penalties and 80 free yards to rice in wyoming but we came out against alabama and we were disciplined right so i don't understand you know if the team is playing up or down to the competition if that's what it is maybe it could be right <laughs> you know uh they're human they're teenagers it could happen but they've shown the ability to be disciplined and not commit unnecessary penalties, right? Because they did it against Alabama in the biggest game of the year. So why at home against Rice in Wyoming are we getting sloppy and undisciplined? They had three false starts, which is crazy, in one game, two by Hayden Connor, one by Christian Jones. He had a pass interference by Terrence Brooks. I didn't think it was pass interference. DKR didn't think it was pass interference. I'm sure if you're watching at home, you didn't think it was pass interference, but nonetheless, it was called. That was 15 free yards. We had an illegal substitution and then an offsides for Vernon Broughton. That was with three minutes left in the game. It didn't necessarily matter, but it's still a penalty. It still shows up on the stat sheet. And you do that in a closer game, 
You know what I mean? It could be the reason you lose. So you have to be more disciplined. They've shown the ability to do it against Alabama. So they need to treat every game like it's against the Alabama Crimson Tide because 40 yards of penalties against Rice and Wyoming is unacceptable. And you do that against a better team. It could be the reason you're going home sad. I want to talk about Quinn Ewers next. And I've done making all of these grandiose statements about Quinn Ewers, right? I've come out here after the Oklahoma game last year and said he was a top five quarterback. I've come on here after the Rice game this year and said, how often have we seen special from Quinn Ewers? Then I came on here after the Alabama game and said he validated himself and he validated that five-star ring, right? And then he goes out here and completes 52% of his passes against Wyoming for 131 yards and looks like a completely different quarterback this past Saturday than he did the Saturday previous to that, right? So I'm just done making all of these grandiose statements about Quinn Ewers because he's so inconsistent that I will be inconsistent with my analysis on this podcast if I continue to do that. And like my brother Mark says, you know, one of my loyal subscribers, I gave up the roller coaster rides a long time ago, right? I got to give up the roller coaster ride on Quinn Ewers, right? He has been special for three games at the University of Texas. He has been absolutely amazing for three games at the University of Texas. The two games against Alabama and the one game against Oklahoma, he was spectacular. The problem is, is he's played 13 games at the University of Texas. And after 13 games at the University of Texas, he is still completing less than 60% of his passes, 58.7% completion percentage. And I have to venture that Quinn Ewers is probably closer to the 10 games we've seen outside of Alabama and Oklahoma than the three games we saw against Alabama and Oklahoma. And that's okay because he's still a really good quarterback, right? And he is a quarterback that can lead the University of Texas to a Big 12 championship this year and a college football playoff. But as far as me, you know, waiting to see Trevor Lawrence or Bryce Young or Caleb Williams or anything like that from Quinn Ewers, I'm just not sure that's going to happen. And at least it won't happen, we know, on a week-by-week basis. When I look at the 10 incompletions he had against Wyoming, uh, I put six of them on him, right? I said six of them were either bad throws or bad reads. There was a Jontae Cook drop. A.D. Mitchell had already missed his block, so he was going to get tackled in the backfield regardless, but he still did drop the ball. There was a missed slant behind A.D. Mitchell. That was on Quinn. A back foot fade away, and there was pressure in his face, so he threw it off his back foot, you know, faded away uh, like he's playing basketball. In the end zone, it almost got intercepted when J.T. Sanders was open, had a step. I put that on Quinn Ewers. He had a nice pass to Gunnar Helm that, you know, touched Gunnar Helm's hands, but it was in double coverage. And if uh, two people are covering Gunnar Helm, then I would have to venture that somebody is open on the other side of the field, right? So good throw, bad read. I put that on Quinn Ewers. RPO throw to Xavier Worthy. It was really tight coverage. I give credit to the defender on that one. Uh, threw a ball over Jordan Whittington's head on third and 15. Um, you know, there were receivers that were open underneath, but, you know, it was third and 15, so I applaud him for trying to get the first down. But you threw the ball, you know, three yards over Jordan, <laughs> Jordan Whittington's head. So I put that on Quinn Ewers, right? JT Sanders overthrow on a deep one-on-one. and one. I have no problem with him throwing the ball deep, giving JT Sanders an opportunity down the field. But if you're going to give him a 50-50 ball, right, the ball has to be in his vicinity. And the ball was five yards ahead of JT Sanders. So I have to put that on Quinn Ewers. Jordan Whittington had a drop. Uh, looks like he was about to get smoked in the backfield regardless, but he still did drop it. A contested throw over the middle to JT Sanders. I don't blame Quinn for that one. I think he thought that he was going to get pass interference. There are a lot of people in DKR that thought it was pass interference. I thought it was football, but I can't blame Quinn Ewers for his line of thinking in that regard. And then he overthrows a wide open Xavier Worthy. I can't remember exactly what the route was, but Xavier Worthy was wide open and he overthrew him by five, six yards. So 
the inconsistency is what we have seen from Quinn Ewers his whole career. We are now 13 games in, assuming this is his last year. He does not have 13 games left. And I just have to say that, you know, like I said, he's a very good quarterback. He can lead us to a Big 12 championship. He can lead us to a college football playoff appearance. But like just like the team needs to treat every game like it's Alabama Quinn Ewers needs to start treating every game like it's Alabama or Oklahoma if this Texas football team really wants to reach their ceiling. And I just have to say that we're now 13 games in, and at least from my vantage point, I've counted three games where Steve Sarkeesian has completely taken the ball out of Quinn Ewers' hands, right? Last year in the Iowa State game, you ended the game with 11, an 11-play 11 drive. Nine of them were runs. One of them was a screen to Bijan. One of them was a three-yard whip route to Xavier Worthy. Against Baylor, you ran the ball 22 straight times to end the game. Against Wyoming, you had 13 plays to end the game. Only one of them was a pass, and it was a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage. You know, like I said, 13 games through the Quinn Ewers experience. I think he's closer to the 10 than the three. Another thing I didn't like was the simplicity of the passing offense, right? Um, you know, we talked about having all of these receivers and all of these weapons, and they should be open all over the place down the field. In a lot of instances, it feels like they are, right? And I was at the game on uh, Saturday, and it felt like Steve Sarkeesian called a very conservative game, but it was definitely a game plan that should have moved Texas up and down the field. I saw in every passing play somebody that was running open, right? And so the problem was there were either bad throws or missed reads that led to this offense not being efficient and moving down the field, which led to us being tied 10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. And when I look at it, I'm not sure if this was Steve Sarkeesian being conservative, saying we should be able to beat Wyoming being conservative, and then I'll open it back up in conference play, similar to how he did against Alabama after playing uh, Rice, or – if Steve Sarkeesian is calling an offense that he trusts his quarterback to complete, right? Because if Quinn Ewers is completing 58% of his passes for his career, and in this game, he is completing 52% of his passes, I might want, you know, all of these special and, you know, creative and innovative, you know, route concepts down the field. But if Steve Sarkeesian doesn't trust Quinn Ewers to execute it, he's not going to call it. So like I said, we'll just have to wait and see what happens against Baylor. But I'm not sure if the offense we saw on Saturday was conservative because it was against Wyoming or it was conservative because that's what he trusts Quinn Ewers to execute at this point. When you look at Xavier Worthy, he had four catches. Three of those four catches were screens. The other catch was a target that was within five yards. We're talking about one of the most explosive and fastest players in the country. And all four of his catches were either screens or came within five yards. He was targeted twice in the intermediate area of the field. One was a missed throw by Quinn. One was a great play by the defender. But the fact that we're in the third game of the season and we can't get explosive plays to Xavier Worthy down the field, that's just a little bit too conservative to me, right? Like Xavier Worthy is way too explosive to only be throwing him screen passes, all right? When we look at Keelan Robinson, one of the most explosive and fastest players on the team, he had one catch for 16 yards. It was a screen pass. When we look at Jontae Cooks, one target, right? Five-star receiver coming into the University of Texas. He had one target against Rice. Wyoming, excuse me. He had one target against Wyoming. It was a screen pass. When I looked at everything that A.D. Mitchell ran, right, they were all slanted outs, right? Everything he ran was slanted outs damn near when i look at the the pass to byron murphy of course that's like a trick pay a trick play a, a specialty play but you know that's just a one yard little dump off to byron murphy so when i look at the majority of our passing game on saturday it's just a bunch of screens and dump offs and quick passes right and i just think that this offense has way too much talent we have too much talent on quarterback even though it's inconsistent and too much talent around him to basically be playing this throw a screen and then hope we break 
you know, a, a play for 40, 50 yard offense. Right. I, I just think that, you know, when we saw Steve Sarkeesian at Alabama, he was really dialing up offense that had defenders confused. And now it just seems like we're running an offense that either was conservative against Wyoming because it could be, or this is what he trusts when you were to execute a bunch of quick throws at the line of scrimmage and then hoping your playmakers make plays. And like I said, I just know that Steve Sarkeesian has way more in his bag for that. And I think this offense is way too talented to be running offense like that. But we'll see what happens against Baylor on Saturday and then the rest of conference play. And then the last thing I just wanted to talk about is I think we need improved play from our safeties. I think the defense has been great as a whole. Obviously, Jaron Thompson has two interceptions the past two weeks. But we also saw you know him give up essentially two touchdowns, right? The one against uh, Jalen Milrow, that deep pass. And then uh, on Saturday, that long 62-yard run, he just took a horrible angle and then got smoked to the spot, right? He was just too slow and couldn't catch up to the running back. Keaton Crawford and Michael Taft, they've been good in spots, but they've also given up plays in spots. And I think Jalen Catalan, he just hasn't been on the field enough, right, to make a huge impact on the field, right? They have him on a pitch count. You know, they're, they're monitoring his minutes, you know, monitoring his game plan you know, trying to, uh, you know, keep him fresh, you know, and healthy throughout the season. And I think because of that, he just hasn't had the on-field impact through three games that we thought he would thus far. So uh, those are just my concerns or things that we need to pick up heading into uh, the Baylor game on Saturday. I think that we'll be fine. Obviously, we're 3-0 and for a reason, and they've won each game by double digits. So these are just small concerns, things that can improve if you want to stay undefeated through conference play. But through three weeks, they have been obviously one of the best teams in the country Hence, their number three ranking in the AP poll. A quick word from our sponsors, and then I'm ranking the top seven teams in the Big 12. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app it's so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the National Football League. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket. Their sudden braking puts you in a 16-car pileup that's anything but sweet. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary. All right, so we're ranking the top half of the Big 12 in the second segment. And the first team, the highest ranked team in the AP poll, is crazy that only two teams are ranked in the AP poll, and it just happened to be Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12. Shout out to Britt Yormark, though. Uh, but Texas is the number one team in the conference, and we said that in the preseason, and through three weeks it's held up. Uh, they beat, you know, Wyoming and Rice, even though it was a little slow to start. They still beat both of those teams by 20-plus points, and then you went on the road and beat Alabama and Nick Saban. And even though it looks like a down version of Alabama, that's still one of the best wins in college football up until this point. So Texas is the clear-cut number one team in the Big 12 conference thus far. Oklahoma? I have to put them at number two. This is a team averaging over 50 points a game, allowing less than 10 points a game. They've been dominant. Now, um, you can say what you want about their schedule. It hasn't been the best, and Oklahoma did this last year, and they ended up losing 49-0 to in the Red River rivalry. But I can only 
analyzed what I've seen thus far, and Oklahoma has looked really good. Whether Dylan Gabriel or Jackson Arnold was in at quarterback, this team has definitely taken a leap. Uh, they beat Arkansas State 73-0, came back and had a milder game uh, against SMU 28-11, to and then they beat up on Tulsa 66-17. to So we'll see how they fare in conference play. They have a game against Cincinnati uh, this weekend, but through three weeks, Oklahoma has been the clear number two team in the conference. I got Kansas at number three. They're undefeated. They played a Power 5 team in Illinois. Not sure how good Illinois is, but when teams are scheduling cupcakes you know, in the non-conference, you have to give them credit for that. And then I think Nevada is a very respectable program as well, right? I'm not sure how good they are now, but that's a team that Kansas went out and played and beat. So they're 3-0, and and they have a very high-flying offense with Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal at running back. So I like Kansas as the number three team. I didn't think they would be the number three team through three weeks, but it shows you how disappointing the Big 12 has been thus far when I look at the number four team I got to put BYU in there right they came out the gates a little shaky uh only beating Sam Houston State 14 to 0 but since then uh they've kind of rolled right I can't remember who they played the second week I think it might have been Utah State they won that game 41 to 14 and then one of the more impressive wins in college football through three weeks they went on the road to Arkansas you know Vietnam uh, and they won that game 38 to 31 right even if Arkansas isn't one of the top teams in the SEC, I think that's a hell of an environment to go in and win in. And we all know that because we remember that Texas game in 2021. So shout out to BYU. They're undefeated at this point. I got them as the number four team in the Big 12. All right, now I'm putting TCU in. UCF is undefeated. I have them in my top seven, but I put TCU in with one loss, right? Look, we got to stop making it about TCU. Look at Colorado. They are 3-0. and They are clearly better than everybody thought they were. And TCU scored 42 points in that game. And since that game, they have rolled their next two opponents. So I think TCU is a really good team. They just ran into a buzzsaw in Colorado. And they also threw two red zone interceptions and missed two field goals themselves. So even as bad as TCU played in week one, they should have beaten Colorado. Since then, they've rolled. I've long said that, of course, TCU is not going to be a college football playoff national championship contender like they were last year. But this team is still really good and still better than a lot of people think they are. People were talking about six, seven wins coming into the season. I think this is more of an eight on the low end, nine win team. TCU is going to give Texas trouble when they play in Fort Worth. But I got TCU as the fifth best team in the conference right now. Kansas State, you know, number six. Uh, that was a disappointing loss as a top 15 to Missouri, uh, top 15 team to Missouri. Missouri is undefeated. So, you know, maybe they're building something special, you know, over there in the SEC. But that's still a game Kansas State should have won. And they did lose it on a 61-yard field goal. Maybe they could have won it in overtime. But nonetheless, this just doesn't look like the same Kansas State team. Um, they beat up on their non-conference. And then, you know, as soon as they played a formidable opponent, they looked a lot less explosive, right? And maybe they missed Deuce Vaughn, who was now playing for my hashtag Cowboys. So I still think that Kansas State is a really good team. I do still think this is, of course, a team that Texas cannot look over uh, when we play them in DKR later in the year. But after losing to Missouri in the third game of the season, I definitely had to dock Kansas State down in my rankings. And then the seventh is UCF, right? They had a tough game against Boise State their second week, but weeks one and weeks three, they absolutely blew out their opponent. And if you listen to the podcast, you know I love John Reese Plumley. He plays quarterback. He plays baseball, just an All-American man. So those are my top seven rankings right now, the top half of the Big 12, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, BYU, TCU, Kansas State, and UCF. I will update this weekly as we head into conference play. A quick word from our sponsors, and then I'm getting out of here recapping all the NFL action from the weekend. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Forget planning months in advance. Excuse me. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. 
Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And with the Game Time Guarantee, you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Locked On College for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price, guaranteed. The NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, it's time for our NFL roundup. 16 games over the weekend. We go through all 16. The Eagles beat the Vikings 34 to 28 uh, on Thursday. This was a game that the Eagles were up on, you know, pretty early. And then the Vikings kind of made a comeback. This is just a Vikings team that doesn't play defense. It can't run the ball. Right. And it's funny because of the narrative throughout Kirk Cousins, his whole career is that he was good, but not good enough. But now he's on a Vikings team that relies on him to be special weekly to win games. Right. That's how ironic is that. And this is a team that went 11 and 0 in one score games last year. You knew some regression was coming. And I think now they are 0 and 2 in one score games to start the season. So the regression came fast. Uh, Raiders against Bills. The Raiders had the pleasure, I guess, <laughs> or the luck of playing the dysfunctional Broncos who can't figure out what they are in week one. And they snuck out a win, but then they played the Bills who were mad coming off that Jets loss where Josh Allen turned the ball over four times for absolutely no reason and lost to Zach Wilson. They came back out, got it together, beat them 38 to 10. And the Raiders, I saw Devontae Adams went down with an injury. Chandler Jones might have CTE right now. You know, I mean, I, I shouldn't even say that. That's not funny. But he he's if you follow the NFL, you've seen what he's been putting on social media. Just a lot going on in Vegas. Right. But it is Vegas. <laughs> the Ravens beat the Bengals 27 to 24. Uh, the Bengals made a late push, but I'm just not sure what's going on with this offense right now. What's going on with this team? They're just out of sync, starting off 0 and 2. Uh, and Joe Burrow looks like he re-injured his calf, so I'm not sure how healthy he'll be moving forward. And then the Ravens, I really like Lamar Jackson in this new offense. You know, Todd Munkin came over from Georgia, and he's really done a good job of giving Lamar Jackson some easy reads and making him comfortable. And then he did a good job at the end of that game of using his legs to really secure a victory. And like I said, the Bengals came on late, but the Ravens are too good to play 30 minutes of good football again to think you're going to come out with a victory. So 2-0 for the Ravens, 0-2 for the Bengals. Looks like that division is going through Baltimore at this moment. Chiefs 17 over the Jaguars 9. We just haven't seen an explosive offense from the Chiefs yet. I think it'll get better. They do have Patrick Mahomes. They do have Travis Kelsey. Hopefully some of those other players around them can make plays. But that offense has been pretty docile through two weeks. But the defense has been really good through two weeks as well, right? They limited the Lions, even though the Lions won. And then they held Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars to only nine points, right? This is the time where we should start to, you know, be seeing that next step from Trevor Lawrence. And for him to not score a touchdown against the Chiefs was very disappointing. But that is a good Chiefs defense, an underrated Chiefs defense. But I think the story is the Chiefs offense not being able to score and the Jaguars offense under Trevor Lawrence 
not being able to score. The Chargers 24, Titans 27. Brandon Staley might be on the hottest seat in the NFL. Um, and you know, we talked about all the time Justin Herbert not being a leader coming out of Oregon, being super talented, but being an introvert. And maybe that's a reason that they're losing. Maybe that's a reason that he has either a losing record or close to a losing record, right? Because it just doesn't make sense that a team with all of that talent, a team with a generational talent at quarterback in Justin Herbert is 0-2 now, blew a 20-point lead in the playoffs, and just cannot win games consistently, right? Like I said, Brandon Staley is on the hot seat, but Justin Herbert deserves some blame, even though he had a great performance on Sunday. The whole team deserves some blame, and it just seems like there's a culture problem because there should not be a team this talented in the NFL that essentially is a 500 football team week in and week out and finds creative ways to lose week in and week out. But shout out the Titans, man. You know what I'm saying? They just like if if a team, if a, if the Chargers find ways to lose, the Titans damn sure find ways to win, right? Like like we, it's crazy. They're always in the games, even with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Packers 24, Falcons 25. Uh, the Falcons, they're fun, man. They're fun to watch. And of course, you're a Longhorn fan, so you're keeping up with Bijan. He was special on Sunday. Falcons two and up, right? Two and up. The Atlanta Falcons making some noise in that division. The Buccaneers and the Saints look good as well, too, though. So we're going to have to see. Seahawks 37, Lions 31. This was a really good game. Uh, Geno Smith almost blew it, running 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage on whatever he was trying to do. But he came down and led the game-winning drive. I got Tyler Lockett on my fantasy team. Game-winning touchdown catch Tyler Lockett. Two touchdown Tyler Lockett on Sunday. I'm 2-0 in fantasy, and he's one of the biggest reasons why. Lions may have lost C.J. Gardner-Johnson for the season. That's a huge loss, but I still think that's a good Lions team. Colts 31, Texas 20. The Texans just aren't ready, right? They don't have enough around C.J. Stroud for him to flourish. And this defense that we thought would be really good was missing two safeties and gave up 31 points to the Colts. Anthony Richardson has been really good, better than I thought he would be the first two weeks, but he has left both of his first two NFL games due to injury. So that's something that you're going to have to watch out for. He's going to have to play a little bit smarter. But this Colts team looks really good through two weeks, even though they're one and one. Bears 17, Buccaneers 27. The Buccaneers are surprising. Uh, 2-0 team. Baker Mayfield has been better than I thought. He does have some really good weapons to throw the ball to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And this defense has really revitalized and they're playing the type of football that they were playing in Brady's first year when they won the Super Bowl. Right. So this is a good Buccaneers team and they're definitely going to give the Falcons and some Saints and the Saints some problems in that division this year. I think the story in this game is just Justin Fields. Right. Like you're talking about, you know, a great player coming out of high school, a great player at Ohio State. And he just looks lost in NFL action. Like not even, you know, oh, okay, he's figuring it out. Like he just looks lost. It, it just does not look good right now for Justin Fields. Hopefully something changes, you know. Giants and Cardinals, this game was looking like a very embarrassing game for the Giants. We know they lost 40-0 to zero in the first week. And then they were down 17-0 to zero to the worst team in the league and the Cardinals in this game. But they created uh, – not created – they went on the uh, biggest comeback victory they've ever had in, in, in franchise history, I think, overcame a 21-point deficit to the Cardinals to win 31-28. to That was a huge win for the Giants. A lot of people thought they could make noise in the division this year. A lot of people thought that they would make the playoffs after they did last year. And then, you know, starting off the season losing 40-0 to uh, and losing Saquon due to injury was tough. So they got a huge win. 
We'll see if they can build some momentum moving forward. 49ers Rams. This was a really good game. And the 49ers just still look like the class of the NFC, especially the way that the Eagles have played the first two weeks. 30 points over the Rams, 23. The Rams were in the game, but I think two Matthew Stafford interceptions, even though they weren't really on Matthew Stafford, were the difference in the game. The 49ers get a tough divisional win and one of the best robberies in football. Jets 10, Cowboys 30. I think the story is Zach Wilson is not good enough to beat a defense like the Cowboys defense. So they had no chance regardless. And he kind of held it up at first, was able to make some plays running, but then he threw three interceptions in the second half. They just came apart. I really like Dak and this new West Coast offense under Mike McCarthy, right? It looks very like I, I, what's the word I'm looking for, right? It looks like very tunnel vision, right? They're not going out there trying to be the number one offense in the league. They're not going out there trying to score 45 points. They're just going out there trying to win every play, right? Even if it's, uh, you know, a short pass, a quick pass, a quick read, a comfortable read for Dak Prescott, they're just going out there just trying to win every play. And I see probably the most efficient offense I can remember under Dak Prescott since Ezekiel Elliott was the best running back in the league. So Kellen Moore is a hell of a play caller, a hell of an offensive coordinator, but I think Dak looks more comfortable and he looks in rhythm in you know, this conservative West Coast offense under Mike McCarthy. And I, I think we found the perfect pairing for Dak Prescott. We'll probably see the best version of Dak Prescott we've seen in a few years this season. Commanders over Broncos, 35 to 33. This was a crazy game. The Broncos were up 21 to three. I think at one point, then the Commanders go up. The Broncos catch a tip drill held Mary to make it 33-35, pending a two-point conversion. And then there's a pass interference on the two-point conversion that prevents them from getting it, but they don't get the call. They lose 35-33. to Sean Payton is 0-2 in his Broncos career with Russell Wilson. Like I said, it's just dysfunctional over there. I don't know what's going on. Maybe they need to give Russell Wilson his office back. Dolphins 24, they look like one of the best teams in the AFC Patriots 17. I really like Mac Jones. They just don't give him any weapons. And he finally got a weapon that's explosive, throws on the ball. He fumbles. Bill Belichick benches him for the rest of the game. So, you know, I don't know. I really like, you know, Mac Jones. I think he's a hell of a quarterback, but he has not had any weapons to write home about since he has gotten to New England. Saints 20, Panthers 17. Bryce Young is just not ready yet, you know, and I thought that he came on late in the game, but he has no offensive line and no receivers. They have him targeting Adam Thielen like he's Cooper Cup. It's ridiculous. So, you know, Bryce Young has to get better, but they also have to put a team around him because there's no way he's going to win games this year targeting Adam Thielen like he's a Hall of Fame receiver. And then Browns 22, Steelers 26. I couldn't even watch the rest of this game. Nick Chubb is on my fantasy team, but just as a fantasy, I mean, as a football fan, uh, as a human being, seeing Nick Chubb's leg get pushed all the way back like that, uh, it was just was a horrible scene. So um, I just want to say, you know, prayers up to Nick Chubb. Obviously, he's out for the season. Hopefully, he can come back and be that same Nick Chubb next year and for the rest of his career. A good win for the Steelers. But like I said, it was just hard for me to watch after seeing that Nick Chubb injury. So that was week two in the NFL. My Cowboys play the Cardinals next week. So like my Longhorns, we should end up 3-0. and Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked on Longhorns Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hook them. Peace. Let's get ready for conference play. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.